God, we ask your prayers for this cursed episode that you would exercise its demons. (laughs) Welcome to the Mocktail Hour, the podcast that almost doesn't exist. Does God want it to exist? Is this a challenge? So we sat down to record, what, a week ago, probably? Monday. Yeah. Today's Sunday. The Lord's Day. Maybe it'll work. (laughs) And it went, oh, our conversation was beautiful. We tried this new beverage. Gorgeous. I mean, it also exploded all over us. But we lost the episode. The, The sound was all bad. Cursed. Absolutely cursed. So this is this is the month of curses. But we're coming back more powerful than ever with this Thanksgiving special. November is like spooky season reboot. It's like it took it one step too far. It's just that's too my, far. my take. November 2021, it kept the spooky season vibe. We were ready to just move on into like just decorative gourd season, but it has taken uh, the cursed energy with it. So here we are. Curses, no curses. Rain, shine, sleet, or snow. Let's dive straight into this beverage. Like we did in the first episode, quite literally, because it actually exploded all over both of us. It was great audio. It was great. I'm very sad. I feel like we need that, like, the whatever the sound effect is where they, like, have a memory and they, like, go back in time. Oh, yeah. We're flashing back to the fact that we have definitely had this beverage before because we did an entire podcast about it that you will never hear. So let's get back into it. Yes, toast. Yeah, so this and is I, I mean that second. literally, but also uh, as the title of our beverage. I just yes, realized. It's our second toast, right? So I'm just going to like smash this into the um <laughs> into the camera. <laughs> That's how we cheers. Uh, yeah, so we tried the toast rosé for our last episode and now we're trying the original toast. And um, we did already record an episode in which, no exaggeration, leading up to the episode, I had started to slowly open it and it proceeded to like bottles pop in, like basically just leak onto me. And we thought that maybe that was my fault because I had leaned it sideways in my refrigerator, which I mean (laughs) might have contributed to my personal challenges. Uh, But then you, what was your experience of opening the toast bottle? Okay, I went in confident, which I now regret. I I really did. You know, I put it straight up in my fridge. So how could it possibly happen to me? It did. It exploded all over me. I opened it slowly and responsibly. And yet it had a vengeance. It came out kicking, just foam everywhere. Very impressive. I would give it a 12 out of 10 for bubbles. And 12 out of 10 for sound effects on a podcast. Again, lost to the ether. Uh, The other (laughs) thing I'll say is that we opened this on Monday, or I opened my bottle on Monday, and it is Sunday today, and it still has some some sparkle. I noticed when I opened it for this, it just still had a little effervescence. So uh, yeah, 12 out of 10 if you're looking for that effervescence. Yeah, it's a, it went more in a champagne direction than I was expecting, for Absolutely. sure. And we were both wearing white on that day. I would suggest not opening this wearing a white blouse or with extreme caution. But enough of the bubbles. How does it taste? 
take a sip. Okay, I'm taking a sip. We've not had this in, I've not had this since Monday. Um, It has lost some effervescence. I'm noticing that just in the taste. Uh, I mean, my big thing that I noticed the first time I tasted it and that we kind of talked through is that we got very different tastes, right? Like mm-hmm. I was kind of looking for the ginger. I was looking for the cranberry, especially. Um, This toast is, is sort of has those specific vibes. And uh, one of the reasons that I picked it for this episode is because we're getting close to the our large autumnal meals. Um, and I was looking for that cranberry and I really didn't taste it. I tasted almost entirely white tea, but you had a different experience. Yeah, I get the dryness of the cranberry for sure. And I remember saying, there are too many bubbles. I cannot taste the flavors. But now that the bubbles have subsided... A full week later, I get more of that white tea that you're talking about. So we may be meeting in the middle here. But I did I did get some cranberry. It was not the most overpowering flavor. And I would say that that also kind of is reflected in the way that it looks. This is not a red beverage. It's very peachy. I wish that I had it next to the other toast so that I could compare them. Yes. The one thing I'll say that I noticed almost immediately is that if you are picking between the toasts, uh, for me, the rosé was a lot less sweet, Uh, really crisp, not as sweet. This is significantly sweeter. Like it's going to feel a little bit closer to almost like a sparkling grape juice, though it is, Mm -hmm. I think, more refined than that. Like I would prefer this over a sparkling grape juice, but it has... A, a deeper similarity to that than the rosé. Like I would say both um both are love at first sip for me, but if I had to choose between the two because of my palate, I would choose the rosé. Mm, okay, okay, okay. I think ooh, I am picturing them in different events. Uh-huh. So for the rosé, I'm picturing that hanging out with my friends on the porch. Wonderful, you know? Always have that in the fridge for entertaining casually. I feel like this original one is a much more, uh, this gives me celebration energy. And maybe it's because it exploded. But also I feel it's the flavor. It's a little bit sweeter. It's got that bubble to it. It is something that I wouldn't mind drinking on Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's. um, Very seasonal. Yeah, I love that. I hadn't thought about settings for it. I think one of the things that we talked about before was just like porch weather and just what it's like to be out on a porch. And I think you're Mm -hmm. right. Like this maybe does, again, if you are looking for something that when you open it, it has a statement just in the opening, you definitely should pick pick this one because the rosé was not as much of a effervescence either. So maybe you're right. Maybe this is closer to a champagne dupe than the rosé. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. I would also swipe right on this beverage. To me, this is love at first sip. I think that I would be more excited about going on a date with the rosé, but I would still swipe right on both and maybe at different occasions. Oh, yeah. Both are a swipe right. Like, we're going to definitely go out on a first date with both of these beverages. This maybe also hoping for a second and third. It just might depend on the location. I'm going to recommend every drink we have, though. Well, the other thing that I've said probably also about the rosé is just that it really exists. Both of the toast products exist as really good things to have available. Like Mm -hmm. in both cases, I think if you were to offer this to a person who was not drinking tonight, they would feel really honored by the choice. 
right? And for me, I mean, we joke about what is love at first sip, but for me, whatever would honor the person in front of you is love at first sip. And Mm -hmm. I think um, the same way that people who drink alcohol have different palates, like some of them want sweeter things, some of them want drier drinks. Uh, People who don't drink have the same range, right? And so having a sweeter option, having a drier option, having things that taste different, these are all important things to consider. And uh, the other thing that I have in my blog and that I would mention to our listeners or people who follow us as well is consider what you're serving that's alcoholic and then consider offering the non-alcoholic version of that beverage. So if you are having a rosé party, have toast rosé. If you're having something that is maybe more like a sparkling champagne drink, like some people do kind of do spritzers where maybe they are putting cranberry and other flavors into champagne. That's a really great opportunity to get the toast original, to have something that's truly, truly equal to the other beverages that you're offering. Yeah. And as somebody who, uh, I don't know, 50-50 usually when I walk into a room, whether I'm going to go for the alcoholic or non-alcoholic beverage just you know, before I know what they are, what the options are. Um, this is something that I would go for over most alcoholic beverages. It tastes that good. And that's really rare for people to serve alongside alcoholic beverages. So hopefully that's a good takeaway from this podcast. Even if you aren't sober, listen to these suggestions because you might like them actually. And it's it's good to give people um, something to drink that, that is tasty. It's very simple and very, very loving. Yeah. And I work with clients in my recovery coaching practice who actually aren't trying to quit drinking. They just want to drink differently. And they're mm-hmm. aware that maybe they go to parties and they feel like they overdo it. And they're trying to think about, you know, how can I go out and have fun and maybe have a couple drinks, but not end up having a ton And so one thing to remember is that having a mocktail or a non-alcoholic option at your party, you know, if you're a person who drinks, you can also have a non-alcoholic beverage in between alcoholic beverages to have a good time, stretch that out, drink a little bit less, feel a little bit better when you wake up in the morning. And so having options like this, I think, can fully serve everyone in the room. It doesn't have to be one specific type of person who can be supported by your decision to have really good mocktails available. Harsh transition into a listener question. I'm ready. I'm going to (laughs) listen. So... Uh, if you have a question, a maybe you're wondering something about uh, your relationship with alcohol, sobriety, whatever, maybe there's a scenario, okay? And that's what we're going to talk about today. Maybe there's a scenario that you're having trouble with and you want help, you want advice. You can send us questions about literally anything in the world and we'll attempt to answer it. But this one is actually an incredible question that I believe we're prepared for. I'll begin reading it. Hem, hem, hem. My girlfriend and I are wedding planning before our engagement, so we can actually enjoy the engagement part. However, when it comes to alcohol at the wedding, it has become contentious. There seems to be an air of, my friends don't do that, which means drink alcohol. My college friends were mainly party people because college, but for her friends, there seems to be an air of holier than thou in regards to alcohol. Like, their Christian duty is to never touch a drop in their lives. Sobriety is a noble thing for sure, 
but this cultural sobriety as a moral statement feels conflicted. I want to be mindful of it, but I'm curious how you understand the culture of, usually conservative, Christians treating alcohol as, for lack of a better term, sinful. Because it seems like this sobriety also treats those who do consume, responsibly or not, as something to be rejected, which feels really odd to me. This is a fantastic question. It touches on a lot of honest complexities, right? About how it is that we show up for a variety of different people who have a different relationship with alcohol who are going to be in the same room. So even though this is specifically about a wedding, I think it's a really great way to understand actually all of our contexts, right? Because um, it's important to realize that you're probably always in the room with sober people, right? Like we're everywhere. So you know, every time you host an event, you're hosting an event that is actually similar to this in the opportunity for it being challenging or comforting for that range of people. First thing I just want to say is one of the core things here is judgment. And that's never really good, right? So, you know, first of all, we just have to honor that being judgmental in any situation isn't helpful as far as um, offering compassion into the situation. The other thing I just want to say is, you know, as the hosts, one of the things that I would encourage people to do is to kind of release those expectations, right? Um, we can't control what other people are going to feel when they come into something that we have hosted, right? We can only do our best. It's very difficult when we know that those opinions might be in the room. But at the end of the day, I want to encourage people who are hosting events like this to just lock into what you can control. What is it that you can do to honor all of those different viewpoints in the room? And for me, that boils down to making sure you have good options for everyone there, making sure you have good non-alcoholic options that rival the alcoholic options that are in the space. Uh, we don't want to feed judgment. We don't want to give it too much energy, right? That's not going to be helpful. Also, it's your wedding. Like it's supposed to be about y'all. And so if you have the options available that mean that everyone in the room can pour a drink, everything else in some way, shape or form kind of has to be released to themselves, right? It's very difficult to do, but it's just something that I encourage. And um, yeah, again, it's a very difficult situation to find yourself in. But as someone who came out of a theological background that thought that drinking was sin and then moved into a context in which drinking was not only not sinful in the church, but extremely, and I think in some ways in a very unhealthy way, normative, you know, the middle way of that, if I may be so Episcopalian, <laughs> is to acknowledge that judgment doesn't serve us on either side. And to circle back to hospitality for all of those present. Yeah, I think there's a lot of wisdom in that. In these kinds of pressure cooker situations where you're throwing people together who maybe don't hang out with each other normally, they come from different cultural backgrounds, you're going to get situations like this where the question of alcohol being present at the party is a big one and judgment gets thrown around. And all you can control really is yourself. You can control what you you know, what you can serve if you are the host. But if you're also just attending a wedding and you can feel that tension, uh, I think, yeah, what you said about releasing releasing expectations, that's really, really hard. <laughs> Almost impossible. But 
a mindfulness take on that can be really helpful. Slowing down and backing away from the situation that's sucking you in. That (laughs) strategies for Thanksgiving coming up. Um, Not just weddings. Any any of these high-intensity social situations, I have always found that at a certain point, if you're not in charge, if you're not one of the people who's like actively fighting, you gotta back up, take a breath, and just pray. I don't know. Also, we wish you well on your wedding. <laughs> I oh, hope yes. it becomes hey, congratulations. less contentious. Um, <laughs> but and I, I also want to just acknowledge that there's a real power in, in even asking the question. Right. Mm. Like, I think one of the things that we will find as we do this podcast is just be, having an openness to trying to, to understand different viewpoints is in and of itself supportive of those of us who are in recovery. Right. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know anyone in recovery who's like, if you have even so much as a single drop of alcohol around me, I will evict you from my life. Right. Not saying there aren't people who are like that, but I think that the idea is just, when I walk into the room, do I think it crossed your mind that I'd be here? Mm. And so when you host these events, I mean, just make sure that the people that you love can see when they come in that it crossed your mind that they'd be there. Yeah. Oh, I had a really good thought, but it escaped my brain. It ran away. Oh, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Okay. There's a Facebook group I'm in. And okay, I hate Facebook. I'm not active on Facebook. I'm only on Facebook for two things. And that's my grandparents. That's a lie. My grandparents aren't even on Facebook. My parents. It's for older people. (laughs) And Facebook groups because they have gems in them. Okay. This Facebook group is called That's It. I'm Wedding Shaming. It's like Bravo, but you get to scroll through it and you don't have to listen to anybody talk. And just just the worst wedding situations. One thing they all have in common with each other, other than being... Oh my gosh, I I can't imagine these personalities existing in my real life. Ah. But the people take screenshots of text messages between bridezillas and bridesmaids and all that kind of stuff, right? And so you're observing this and you're like, every text they send to each other is an escalation. Everything. And so I'm imagining an alternative universe where this question asker, instead of sitting back, reflecting, sending in a question, hmm, this... This seems like a fraught situation. What what should I calmly do here? There's a very easily a world in which you get angry at these friends. In that cycle of escalation, you I I'm going to stop using you language here. I have been in those situations of escalation before where I did not behave myself very well. And those judgments lobbing back and forth at each other just boom 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 boom, maybe slowly, maybe quickly, but then you're getting to the point where you're just angry at each other. But at any point, one of us in the argument could have taken a step back and become a little bit more mindful about the situation and questioned what we were bringing to that table. You know, what kind of stress and projection were we bringing to this conflict? Um, So thank you, question asker, for being very mature in this situation because that doesn't always happen and uh, it's worth applauding. Yeah, anytime we're in such a high-tensity situation like a wedding, anytime we get to be reflective, that in and of itself, I think, really honors the people that are going to be there. And I think it also means that hopefully the two of you on your day can um, can have peace knowing you did your best and 
again, just release those expectations and just enjoy your day. Yeah. Enjoy your day. Yeah. I think that this is a, a very specific level of intentionality of thinking about the role alcohol plays in weddings. Because I've also been to some weddings where I think it maybe did not serve everyone to have been in such large supply. So, hmm. you know, there's something about just sort of having that eye to it that I think might serve really everyone who goes to it, regardless of whether or not they drink or don't drink. It strikes me that uh, a planning tool that I use for <laughs> social situations that are fraught, like the holidays, which I want to bring this around to because Thanksgiving is coming right up. I'm calling this our Thanksgiving special. Yeehaw, turkey, turkey, or whatever Thanksgiving vegan loaf are. or whatever. <laughs> I think it is such a good tool to have a plan for things that can go wrong. You know, I have this uncle who blah, blah, blah. I don't. That's a fake story for the podcast. Don't come at me, my uncle, if you listen to this. If you have an offensive uncle, right, have a plan. What if something goes wrong? Because you know it will. You know these people. You know what they're, what buttons are going to get pushed, by whom, it happens every year, that kind of thing. Having a plan before you go in, whether you are, know that you're going to face triggers going into whatever Thanksgiving situation this is or wedding or whatever, or whether you know that you're going to be a bystander to something, that two people are going to get into it, that one person is probably going to trigger somebody else. What are you going to do? What are you going to say? Hopefully you don't have to do anything, but it's sort of a peace of mind situation knowing having some sort of fail-safe mechanism. Yeah, you are um, taking whole bullet points away from my holiday blog that is up on my website. Um, <laughs> I did a blog because you're right. Holidays are really difficult for people in recovery. You know, I mean, it's supposed to be the most wonderful time of the year, but um, we have a real cultural belief that celebration of the holidays requires booze, you know? And so... It is a really difficult time for people in recovery. And so I wrote a blog that we can can share in show notes about just ways to care for yourself if you're drinking, ways to care for yourself if you're trying to stay sober, ways to be a good host, right? But one of the recurring bullet points is just have a plan. I mean, when we are already in the situation, we often do not have the tools to help ourselves with it, right? But when we mm -hmm. plan, we know how to have those tools around us and we know how to react when we're in that difficult situation. So whether that's going in with a plan for, you know, I'm, I'm only going to drink this many drinks or I'm only going to stay for this long of a time because I really don't want to be hungover tomorrow, right? That's one way to plan. Or maybe your plan is for every alcoholic beverage, I'm going to have a non-alcoholic beverage, right? That is also a plan. Or if you're a sober person, maybe you tell yourself, I'm only going to go for an hour because that hour is going to be difficult. And I know that. And so the way that I'm going to stay sober is I'm just going to call it an hour, right? Those are all plans. And what they mean is that we have guardrails that will support us in a situation that might feel especially like if we were left to our own devices, we wouldn't have the tools we needed to see our way out inside of our integrity. Yeah. And that hour can be a pressure cooker. It's, it's such a gift to a future self to go in with well-equipped you know? Also, That's it's wisdom. not just 
for sober people. Maybe you're an introvert. That's a great plan. I've even given myself the plan that, you know, I'm, I'm a real expectation focused person. And so I really worry that I will let people down. And so one of the things that I've done for myself is just to say, you know, you're only quote required to be there for an hour. So like if it's grueling and you're having a really hard time and you're really not enjoying yourself, you can leave at the hour mark. What it normally happens is I tell myself that and I stay for two because I'm having a great time, you know, but just like giving yourself permission to leave is in and of itself a really powerful way to practice your agency. And it can be a part of making a plan that honors you. One thing I do that's along those lines is pray and praying before I enter a really hard social situation sort of gives me a God's eye view, not to not not like in a hubris way, like, ooh, I can see or whatever. But like, to me, coming back to a, a place of rootedness and prayer, and I'm just like, Jesus, help me. Let's go. It reminds me that God loves me. And no matter what happens over the next evening or whatever stressful thing I'm about to walk into, or maybe I'm excited about it, whatever, but it's a nice reminder that there's like a long view. This hour isn't everything. I'm beloved. You're beloved. Everybody getting into fights. Everybody judging each other. You know, it's there's a long view and it's okay. It's going to be okay. And then with that strength, I like knock on the door and make my awkward introduction. Yeah, prayers and grounding rituals before you go into events that might be difficult for you. Again, not just for sober people. Like holidays can be difficult for a variety of reasons. Uh, One of the reasons I think that we tend to drink quite a bit during the holidays is because we're numbing ourselves out of the other real difficulties of the season, right? There can be grief. There can be strained family relationships, financial hardship, etc. And so... I think having any grounding rituals and prayers at your disposal can help you through a lot more than the party. I hope that we have answered this question in a subway. They might help you. Uh, let us know if we didn't. Um, feel free to roast us. That's totally fine. Uh, you can send that in in the question. Roast and link. toast. Oh, roast and toast. Speaking of toast, the beverage that we're drinking, this was good. In our review, how much would you rate it? I mean, again, I have to think when I think of my understanding of love at first sip as being like drinkable, delicious, really great option at a party, you know, would I feel honored if someone offered it to me? 10 out of 10. Yeah, it looks beautiful in. A decorative glass. It tastes very good. So long as you aren't actually the person physically opening it, or if you have an apron, then I would say fully 12 out of 10. Perfect. Love it. Yeah, we love toast. Two for two on toast. Uh, and is that is that our toast collection? Do you know what we're what we can look forward to next time? Yes, for our next episode. Are, shouldn't we leave it to be a secret? Oh, guess. Hey, everybody, guess. Uh, at us on Twitter. Guess what we're going to have next? It'll be, here's your hand. It'll be a, a holiday um, like smorgasbord is I think what's going to happen. Oh, now I remember. Ooh, I'm so excited. <laughs> yes, on Twitter at Erin Jean Warden at 
LEG Singh what you think the holiday smorgasbord for our next episode is, which will air and that's, before Christmas. Yes. We have one, this one for Thanksgiving, another one for Christmas, and then we'll get back onto a regular schedule for the new year. Um, the holiday smorgasbord is actually, I don't think, the name of a cocktail, but it should be. And if you find it online, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a series of beverages. We want to get you ready for Christmas or whatever Ooh. holiday you celebrate in late December. Oh, my goodness. My family is uh, of many religions. And so this whole thing with Thanksgiving leading straight into Hanukkah, leading straight into Christmas. Oh, it's a back to back mess. So good luck if you're in that interfaith situation. It's a niche. But I see you. All right. Um, I will probably come back in with some recording for How to Find Us. Hey, this is Ellie from the future, uh, keeping my end of the bargain. Here with some show notes at the end of the day. You can find all our show notes and also how to submit questions to us, question scenarios, you know, whatever you want. Roasts. Let's go. You can find those at discerningsobriety.com. Uh, please follow me on Twitter. My handle is at L-E-G Singh. Um, and also some work that I'm doing that you might find really advantageous. <laughs> I'm making an advent calendar about creation care and every single day has something that you can do. It's like a mindfulness combined with practice thing. So every single day has an action item you can do to help creation. I'm really excited about it. It's been a labor of love and it's finally live. So you can find that at elliesinger.com. And here comes Erin Jean with what she's up to. Hey y'all, Erin Jean Ward here. Just letting you know where to find me for the time being. First of all, just want you to know I have a coaching bundle up on my website for December coaching. You can sign up for coaching and you'll get a discount for the Discerning Sobriety course, as well as one of the modules if you want to check it out and see if you're interested. You can also sign up for the January cohort of Discerning Sobriety at www.discerningsobriety.com. I mentioned this in the episode. I have a holiday blog that I'll link in show notes if you just want to see tips, tricks, and ways to support yourself through the holiday season, whether you're drinking or if you are trying to stay sober during the holidays or if you are just hosting some gatherings and want to be good to everyone in the room. And you can sign up for any of my coaching or any of my other offerings at erinjeanward.com and follow me on Twitter and Instagram at erinjeanward. <laughs>